Our series is called Impossible God, and what we're doing is taking a look at a few different situations where God accomplished something impossible in and through the lives of his people, and then we're trying to draw a comparison of how that impossibility can impact our own lives, since we serve the same God with the same power, who has the same plan to glorify himself through us, his people. So this morning we're going to be talking about our devotion to God. We'll be seeing it in the life of Daniel and sort of highlighting a text in Daniel chapter 6. So you can head on over to Daniel. Confident that we know this story, but it's a fun, fun one to think about. So it's Daniel's chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. Let me read them and then we'll talk about a couple things. It said, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We're not going to find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom and the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish your decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and his sleep went from him. And the king arose very early in the morning, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 
My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. Your devotion to God is the beginning of the impossible. Uh, Daniel is such a great character in the Old Testament. You know, people point out how high he ascended in the Babylonian government under various kings. It's pointed out that he's one of very few biblical characters other than Christ who has no sins recorded in the scriptures. Um, of course, he confessed his own sin. It's not that he was without sin. He confessed that he's a sinner in chapter 9 of his book there in his prayer for the people. But he's Daniel. I mean, he's a heavy hitter when you're thinking about biblical characters. Uh, so much so that some commentators even go so far as to say that he's a type of Christ given in the Old Testament for us to uh, learn from. But here's the deal. The things that Daniel is remembered for are the things that God accomplished in his life and the things that God accomplished for him. Uh, there's the opening chapter of this book where he goes on his famous veggie diet. Uh, there's uh, his interpreting of dreams and visions uh, for Nebuchadnezzar and, and uh, interpreting the writing on the wall. There's his incredible vision of the future in chapter 9 that we still understand is prophetic even for us today. And then there's, of course, this text. It's the most famous in Daniel's life. But every time we read one of these incredible things that makes Daniel such a, a stunning character to us, it's made very clear by Daniel himself that God accomplished these impossible things through him. And really, like in a text like this, you see Daniel really doing very little. He only says one thing in this text. He just goes home and does some praying, and then he's pretty much gone from the rest of the text, except for at the end when he says his statement to the king. Um, it was clear that God blessed the vegetable diet to Daniel's body. It was God who revealed the secret of Nebuchadnezzar's dream when he went and he said, hey, I had a dream. You're going to tell me what the dream was and what the dream means, or I'm going to kill all the wise men. He starts killing all the wise men, and Daniel goes home and prays to God who reveals the dream. It was God who sent the visions of the future in Daniel chapter 9. It was God who sealed up the mouths of the lions in our text. It was God working these things through the life of one Israelite captive in the land of Babylon. And before we go any further, it's important that we understand that though Daniel in some sense could be a type of Christ, and that's an exciting thing to study out, he's also, and perhaps more importantly, a type of us. I mean, he's us. We're Daniel. We find ourselves as citizens of heaven, yet captive here in a spiritual Babylon, as it were. While we're here, we're called to live as God's people, and we're also given some sort of responsibility in this kingdom, some job, some position, some uh, area where we have to interact with this society. We're given God's word to understand what life is about and what God's plan is. That's how Daniel knew that the physical Babylonian captivity would last 70 years. It said he was reading the prophet Jeremiah. And using a phrase from our text uh, that hopefully we didn't skim too fast over, we have an excellent spirit within us, like Daniel did, bringing us heavenly favor and empowering and direction. So we are Daniel. And, you know, when we read a guy like Daniel who does, who we kind of think of doing these incredible things, even though he didn't really do very much, he just kind of hung out and this stuff happened, um, it's easy to kind of elevate him and put distance between his relationship with God and our own, but the truth is we are Daniel. He is us. Uh, and he's not just an example of us, but he's also an example to us because in him we see the power of God accomplishing the impossible. 
And again and again, we find that the key to Daniel's exploits, the source of of this dynamic, spirit-filled life that he led, was a simple devotion to God through and through. Uh, That was the beginning of all these impossible outpourings. Daniel was a man who had managed to allow his devotion to God to penetrate his heart. And once it had penetrated his heart, it then went and permeated his life. God permeated his life and everything he did, all of his relationships, all of his activities, and it was because Daniel was a man who was devoted. I mean, when you read these stories, everyone around Daniel is always talking about Daniel's God. I was talking about, man, the God you serve, and here's what your God did, and here's what I know about how much you love your God, and all of these you know, different things. That's all anybody's ever talking about, and talking about Daniel's devotion, and talking about his focus on his God. You constantly also see Daniel interacting with the Lord, so much so that often even his dreams were uh, godly. They were invaded by the Lord to show him something spectacular, to use him in some way. Now, the danger is looking at Daniel's life and thinking, okay, then what do I need to permeate my life with so that I can have the kind of discipleship that Daniel had? How many chapters of the Bible do I need to read each day to unlock that you know, potential? Uh, you know, what is the specific schedule I perform to get this kind of power? He prayed three times a day, so I guess I'll start praying three times a day. And none of that is the point. The point isn't devotions as far as I sit down and I do this, this, and this, and that's what makes me into a guy like Daniel. That's not the point at all. That's a mindset that it's possible to fall into if we're not careful. And effectively, that's what Simon the sorcerer did over in Acts chapter 8. He saw what God was doing through the lives of men who were devoted to him, and he said, hey, can I buy that from you? Can I buy the Spirit's power from you? And uh, the apostles had some choice words for him. But what we see in Daniel as a man is that his devotion was the point. That's what he was about. He pursued God. He hungered for God. And because of that pursuit, he found satisfaction and God did things through his life. You know, Daniel didn't set out to be thrown into a lion's den. And I think that's an important thing uh, to focus on. He set out to please his God. He set out to serve his God. He lived his life moment by moment as unto the Lord. And that's something that we are commanded to do in the New Testament. And we get to actually see it happen in Daniel. And everyone around him knew that he was all about his God. His enemies, those satraps here, they figured out really quickly, okay, Daniel's not corrupt like we are. Daniel's not power hungry or, you know, money hungry like we are. Uh, So, you know, we're going to have to trap him concerning his devotion to God because that permeated everything that he did. And they recognized that. Even King Darius, he says a number of times in our text, hey, Daniel, you're the servant of your God. And I just think that's really interesting. He didn't call him, hey, Daniel, you're my servant. Darius knew that this guy who he had effectively placed second in command over all Babylon, he knew, man, I'm always going to be second to this guy's God. He's my slave. He's my captive. He's, I'm in his boss. I'm in charge of him. But you know what, Daniel? I know that you serve the Lord. I know that that's what you're doing. You're, you're living your life to serve your God. He understood that Daniel was living his life in devotion to someone greater than the king of Persia. Now, as we study Daniel's life or look at any ideas like in this text, we do see some practical things. You know, we see that he was a man who did spend time reading God's word. He was a man who made prayer a scheduled priority. I mean, after all, it was his daily prayers that got him into this trouble. But we have to understand that the act of praying wasn't what Daniel was about. You know, you read these accounts and you quickly understand that Daniel wasn't a legalist. He had a hunger to, for prayer because he had a hunger for God. 
he, he, he had a hunger for serving this God and interacting with this God, and that's what moved him to pray and moved him to spend time reading the prophet Jeremiah's book and, and all these other things. And that's what drove him to acts of devotion. It's not the other way around. And a lot of times I think we trick ourselves into thinking that, well, if I force myself into some sort of you know, physical act of devotion, that's what really approves me before God, and that's what you know, will bring me the kind of satisfaction I'm looking for. And the truth is, that's not the way it works. If we're thinking about hunger, if we're evaluating our own hunger for God, our own passion for him, then we should be able to gauge our devotion to God. We should be able to gauge if we're being satisfied by God or if we're also kind of going to other sections of the buffet, as it were, uh, for our sustenance. Honestly, this is one really good reason uh, to fast, I mean, to actually do fasting in our lives, to get a very real look at how present and how powerful our other hungers may be in our lives. And, and there's a lot of good reasons to fast, but that's a good one as well. Man, you start taking stuff away from your body, you find out really fast uh, what, you, what you're hungry for um, psychologically and physically and, and spiritually. Um, and I like this analogy about hunger. You know, the Lord uses it a lot. The Bible uses it a lot. Um, but it's, a, it's easy to spoil your spiritual appetite. Just like in, in the real world, in the physical world, you know, we, we can spoil our appetite pretty, pretty fast. Um, the other day I found a, a pouch of Big League Chew bubblegum at a store. And I, I hadn't had it in like 15 years. And we were at Michael's and we were getting some stuff. And I was like, honey, there's Big League Chew bubblegum over there. We got to get a pouch of Big League Chew bubblegum. So I got it, and then the other night I ate like half the pouch in one sitting, and what happened? I got a big league stomach ache after that. <laughs> uh, now, in the same way, we have to understand that we can spoil our spiritual appetite with unhealthy things. That I really shouldn't go and gorge myself on, you know, this thing over here because it's going to spoil my appetite for godliness. Uh, but it's not always bad stuff, you know. We don't just—it's not that you just go out and you know drink a bunch of spiritual Drano and then ruin things. I mean. Anyone who's gone to a Mexican restaurant knows that you can accidentally spoil your appetite too. You, you, eat, you, eat, all, you eat basket after basket of chips. Uh, there's a restaurant in Visalia that me and Kelly uh, enjoy going to. It's called El Rosal, and they'll do a fun thing. They, they bring your chips, and then they bring you cabbage and salsa, and you mix them together. And, man, it's really good. But cabbage and salsa on top of chips, man, I don't have space for my enchiladas after that, you know. But I've already paid for my enchiladas, so that's the problem. But it's interesting that the Bible sometimes categorizes sin into three big sections. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And you can see that those things are described and rooted in my individual appetites. What I'm hungry for. My hunger for some object or some title or some satisfaction that is not heavenly. But in Daniel, you see a man who's focused on God. Who, who didn't allow himself to look for sustenance in the other things of life, even while everyone around him was doing it. God was, uh, Daniel was God's servant, and everyone knew it. And so when his enemies pit his God against his very survival in this chapter, we see Daniel not worried. We see him not concerned. We see him immediately go to the Lord, because the Lord was the source of his life. The Lord was his satisfaction. It was the Lord that he pursued while still a captive in Babylon. He wasn't pursuing wealth like these other guys. He wasn't pursuing the king's delicacies in the first chapter of the book. He wasn't even pursuing survival. He just pursued the Lord. And because that devotion penetrated Daniel's heart, we see God's power permeating his life. This is what he was all about. And this is why he's one of the most remarkable people in all the Bible. <clears throat> we see in our text a very calm confidence. 
Uh, you know, it, I love I love the just the plainness of the text. The decree was signed. Daniel went home, opened up his windows, prayed to the Lord, just like he always did. We see also incredible grace pouring out of this guy. Uh, I think it's a pretty remarkable thing. I always pass over it, but King Darius comes and opens up the lines, and he calls out to Daniel. Daniel replies, oh, king, live forever. This is the guy that just literally sealed your fate and thrown you into the lion's den and he's like yeah that's cool i mean i'm not worried about it yeah you you signed a decree saying that you effectively were god and no one would and you took away the rights of everyone to pray to their god and everything and then you threw me into a lion's den because you weren't man enough to stand up against you know these weird yes men who are trying to gain power but like his first response is okay live forever i mean that's that's a ton of grace that that's that's an exciting thing to see one of god's people do and all around, while he's being accused, while he's being schemed against, while he's being taken and thrown into this pitch black cave, we see a man who is just fearless. And we are certainly called to that kind of fearlessness, or the Lord intends that kind of fearlessness for us. I love how in verse 11 it says that the men, the satraps, they assembled together and saw Daniel praying. No doubt he could see this crowd of 120 guys, give or take, gathered below his window. If they could see him and they were all gathered together, he could probably see them. He was probably in a second story, and there's 120 guys outside looking at him praying, and, and he didn't worry about it. Because he, he, he was unafraid because his life wasn't about financial success. It wasn't about respectability. It wasn't about having a robust career. It wasn't even about survival. His life was about pleasing his God. It was about his devotion to God. That's what he was about. And because of that, every situation he was in became a conduit for God's impossible power. Uh, in New Testament terms, Peter says something interesting to us in 1 Peter 3. He says, And who is he who will harm you, speaking of God's people, if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And Daniel exemplifies that for us. That is the power that God makes available to us. He says to his people, You don't have to be afraid even if somebody comes to kill you if you're following me and if you're doing what I want you to do because I will bring you satisfaction and I will... I, I will care for you and bring my intention to pass in your life. And I read that statement and I think, man, Lord, that's impossible. It's impossible for me not to be afraid if people came to accuse me or, or, or persecute me or even kill me. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we make him our hunger and our pursuit, then we're going to understand the satisfaction that he brings to our lives, the fearlessness and that confidence. That's what we see in Dan Daniel, and Daniel is us, a man devoted a man who served one master, not many masters. And a man like that will be used by God in mighty ways, not just for entertaining miracles either. I mean, God used Daniel in all sorts of ways. For the sake of our argument for a minute, let's take away the lions, let's take away the dreams, let's take some away some of those miraculous you know, signs that we see surrounding his life. Daniel still had a powerful impact on the people that God had placed around him. The powerful things that God does in and through his people aren't just for performance sake. They're meant to bring credibility to a witness who is already testifying of who God is and what God does. Everyone around Daniel knew him as God's servant before he was thrown into the lion's den. That's what he was about. It's interesting that even King Darius knew certain things about this God of the Hebrews from Daniel. He knew that this God was a deliverer. He said, man, Daniel, your God is going to deliver you because he knew about him from Daniel's life but he also knew that he would always be second to Daniel in his life and then 
when he saw the deliverance of God's servant from the lion's den. That's when Darius began to really know God personally. That's when he began to honor God himself. It's like he had, he had seen Daniel. He had seen Daniel's testimony. He had learned things from Daniel. He said, man, I know that your God is a deliverer. He doesn't leave his people alone. But that didn't translate to Darius's heart until after God worked this amazing, impossible thing. And then he said, man, now I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to honor your God. I'm going to send out this decree about him. That's the kind of thing that God wants to do through us. He wants to establish our testimony with impossible power, giving us that unexplainable satisfaction. In the text here, you see it saying at the very beginning, it pleased Darius to do this. It pleased Darius to set himself up as God over all of the people. The satraps, they weren't satisfied. It pleased them to just try to grab power and wealth and all these things. They always wanted more. But Daniel had an impossible satisfaction that God wants to give to all of us. He had that calm confidence during his trial that Jesus extends to us. He had the grace to show love to someone who had just tried to have him killed. That's the same thing God wants to us. I mean, those are impossible things, but those are things that God calls all of us to as disciples in the New Testament. But it has to start with a heart that is hungry for God. We can't get that sort of production and that sort of fruit and that sort of impossibility if we're not finding satisfaction and sustenance in the Lord. It has to start with our devotion, living to please God, thriving in his satisfaction. And so remember, we are Daniel. We have what he had to an even greater degree. We have more of God's spirit because the Holy Spirit indwells us every day. We have more of God's word. We have more opportunity. Uh, what we need to do is make sure that our heart is being penetrated by a devotion of, to Christ so that our lives can be permeated by his power. And our part is to live out our devotion and to make sure we're not spoiling that spiritual appetite. It's not about a, a physical regimen. It's about a ravenousness. It's about a, my heart desiring God and wanting him. It's about being men who hunger for the good things of God. And if we want a, a tangible way to get going in that direction, you know, it's not that we just, okay, I float around until that happens. If we do want a tangible way to sort of get going in this idea, uh, you know, then I do suggest that we take up fasting more and more as individuals. Because when we remove the, our sources of sustenance, be they physical or psychological, food or entertainment or whatever, and we just spend time trying to feed our spirit on Jesus and his word, that's when we're going to discover what has penetrated our hearts and what is permeating our life. Because, man, you fast for even a few hours and those things that are not heavenly, they start kicking hard and they start uh, yelling pretty loud. And that's when we'll be able not to start adding things to make ourselves better. What do I have to add so I can be more like Daniel? That's when we, that doesn't work. That's when we'll be able to start clearing away those Babylonian temptations that put distance between us and God. And when we're taking our sustenance and our satisfaction from heaven, then not only will God's power and God's grace be pouring out of us in impossible ways, but God's presence in our lives will be undeniable to the people around us. They'll look at you and say, man, that's impossible. That peace, that contentment, that satisfaction, that control that you have. How is that happening? And that's when we come in like Daniel and say, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about my friend. Let me tell you about what he's done. And let me tell you about what he can do for you. You are a Daniel. So go be a Daniel today.